Well, this morning, as we continue in that, I want to say to our single adults, thank you for being here. We're excited that you're here. Uh, I was thinking this week, I don't know where our church would be without our single adults. Uh, and, and I just want to say how much I love you and I thank you for, for you and uh, encouraging a series like this. I had some of our single adults this week say to me this week how much... Uh, that God spoke to them through his word. And I trust God to do that in his word, no matter what you know the, it's about. When God's word goes out, it shall never return void. Amen, right? And so many of you affirmed that last week. And I just, I just want to say thank you to you for your patience in that and just being teachable. The other thing I want to say is that those of you who maybe have had a failed marriage or you've gone through that, as I said this last week, I want to say to you that I've not walked where you walk. I don't know what you're going through or what you've been through. And so there's no condemnation that comes from me. As I stand before you today, I stand before you as an imperfect pastor. I stand before you as one who has brokenness in, in his own life and in his own relationship uh, with my wife, Hope. Uh, it is purely by the grace of God that Hope and I have, have made it 24 years. I want to tell you that for sure. It's not because we're better than anybody or anything like that. Uh, as I shared with you last week, there were times that it wasn't that we weren't even in love. We weren't even in like, okay, as we were pl playing Monopoly together, just saying that, okay? And, uh, and really, the only thing that has held us together has been a covenant that we've recognized, a covenant that we entered into. And, and that, at certain times, has been all that's held us together. And so before we go any further, I want to do this again. We did it last week. I want to do it right now. And so if you're a married person, I encourage if you're sitting next to your spouse, uh, and maybe you had a, who knows, maybe you had a fight on the way to church. Sometimes that happens, um, right? Don't raise your hands. But, but maybe you did. And maybe sometimes it's even hard to hold their hand. Maybe you, I don't know where you're at today, but I, I want to encourage you maybe to hold the hand of your spouse today. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to go before God right now. And there's something that happens when you humble yourself with your spouse before the Lord. So I encourage you to do that right now, okay? So let's bow our heads before him. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. Maybe your marriage is better than it's ever been. You should just say thank you to God right now. Praise him right now. Maybe right now you're going through a really just a rough spot in your life. Maybe you're a single adult and you would say, God, I'm here before you because I know you have a word for me here today too. And I just want to be teachable before you, Lord. We all have made mistakes. We've all had failures. We all are broken. So let's just humble ourselves before him and let's just say to him, Lord, would you teach us today? Lord, would you bring us correction where we need correction today? We humble ourselves before you, Lord. We know that as we, as we, even as a couple, if you're a married couple, as we kneel before you literally in our hearts, there's something that begins to happen right there in that humility that draws us together as we draw near to you together. Lord, we're, there are some who are hurting today in their marriages. Lord, would you just comfort them today? Would you give them your hope today? Would you give us, Lord, the courage to recommit to one another, even if our feelings are not dictating that? Would you teach us to live by our commitments, God, the way that you live by the covenant that you've made with us? So teach us more about that today. We all open our lives to you, married, single alike. 
and trust you to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right, well, let's dig in. Genesis chapter 2, I want to encourage you to go there and keep your finger there. We're also going to be looking in John chapter 13, and so we're going to be looking at a few different passages. Now, as uh, before we get into that, uh, maybe this would be the case, some of you could attest to this, that whenever maybe you first, if you're married, when you first started dating, um, maybe you would say, how many of you would just say this? Let me ask this. How many of you would say that your spouse is completely opposite of you? Would you raise your hands? I mean, you guys are just couldn't be more different. So many of you. It's really pretty humorous how that works out. Okay, how God kind of puts us together in that kind of way. And uh, you heard, you've heard the saying that when you're dating, opposites do what? They attract. But oftentimes when you get married, what happens? Opposites attack. You've heard it said that way probably before. I didn't come up with that. That's been said before by other pastors. And that often happens, okay? If you don't know how to work through and navigate through your differences and realize that there are incredible differences that God has made us with as men and women, but also in our personalities. Um, whenever I think about hope, it is really pretty humorous how different we are. We couldn't be any more different. I went to my kids this week and I was like, Hey, kids, when you, when you think of mom and dad, f- tell me what you think of off the cuff with your differences. And Luke was like, well, dad, you're very bald and she has hair. I'm like, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? Thanks a lot. You're so helpful. And uh, I said, no, seriously, personality-wise. And we started talking and we started kind of laughing about how different we really are. And uh, hope is this creature of habit like i mean she has to have her habit and uh, in the sense of the things are always the same she likes routine you get out of routine and it kind of messes her up how many of you are like that you love your routine right okay so that yeah you're like that right you don't really care much for you'll take a risk but you don't like it you know you like things to stay the same you know not a big fan of change not impulsive. When I think of hope, I mean, she's not impulsive. She really thinks things through, all right, better than I do. Um, she's more reserved and quiet than I am. We kind of laugh about that, how she can be really quiet, and she's just, you know, she's not always like that, but she's more reserved. She's less inclined to say, um, really, or to say or let you know how she really feels about some things. She, uh, she has an incredible poker face, right, because you don't always know what she's really thinking, not a good Monopoly face, by the way, okay, if you were here last week. She's a more go-with-the-flow kind of personality. If her meal is, is wrong, you know, at a restaurant, she'll just kind of roll with it. Uh, not me. I'm like, no, I ordered something different, right? I don't roll with the flow the way she does as much. When assembling things, she does this incredible thing. It's called reading the instructions, all right? She reads the instructions. How many of you, you'd say, I identify more like that? Raise your hands again. Raise your Let me just say, you people, you people right now. Hope is a rule follower. She's a rule follower. She's like, I, I, you know, we have rules for a reason. She's a teacher too, all right? When playing games, she doesn't care that much about winning. That drives me crazy, all right? And, and some of you know what I'm talking about. And, and then there's people like me, all right? And some of you are going to identify with this. I couldn't be more different than her. I am the king of impulsivity, 
all right? I'm, I've, I've gotten us in trouble by my impulsive nature before. I am a risk taker, but that, that sometimes pays off, sometimes it doesn't, okay? I, I like things to change. I thrive on change. I, I really in, enjoy that whenever things are changed up and it's not always the routine and, you know, and, uh, and so I, I can get bored with the routine and so sometimes I just change things just to mess with her a little bit, okay? And uh, instructions for assembly, please, right? You don't need those. When we play a game, we play to what, people? That's what I'm talking about. These are my people I'm talking to right here, all right? And now, now that, that doesn't mean you may win the game, but it doesn't mean you win always in the relationship, right? As I shared last week, we weren't even in love. We weren't in like either at that moment when we play because we didn't know how to get through playing a game together because we play so differently. Opposites can attack. Where she is more inclined to not show how she feels, people typically know how, that, how I feel by my facial expressions. I'm very uh, expressive. And, I, and it's funny because my, my kids were like, yeah, Dad, we kind of know how you feel. You know, we know. Mom, we're not always real sure, but we know. And I, I kept felt in the, feeling this jab that they were giving at me. I was like, are you feeling anything right now, you little punks? All right, because I know how you're talking to me right now. Do you sense it? You should, and, uh, and so we're just different. I, I'm a night owl. She's, she goes to bed early, and she's up earlier than I am typically, and uh, we're just very different. I remember early on when we were dating, though, how, how much this was such an attraction for me whenever I saw this in her, how different she was from me. Now, it didn't hurt that I also thought and still do think that she is fine, okay? It didn't help, that didn't, that didn't hurt at all. And now Trinity, now you know why Hope and Trinity always sit in the back and my kids sit in the back because they're like, that is disgusting. We don't want to hear anything about that. We don't like to think about that. But Hope is so different than I am. And, it, and early on as we were dating, I was intrigued by this. And it was just like, this, she couldn't be more different than me. It's, it's amazing, you know. And, and now the thing is, is when we got married, though, in the first few years of marriage, that was pretty rough. Because I'm thinking she needs to be doing things the way that I do things. We approach things differently. We think about problems differently. We handle money differently. Um, I'm more of a spewer. She's more passive aggressive, you know. And I'm like, no, we're going to talk about it. And she's like, you know, you know kind of walking around and not saying anything to me. And I mean, it, it was really difficult to kind of navigate through that. I didn't really, we didn't really know how to do that early on. Well, what I want to talk to you about this morning is kind of the tension, definitely, of, of, of how we are opposites, but also I want you to see, really, it's designed to be a blessing. There's a blessing that happens in what is called a covenant partnership. You heard me mention that the only thing that held us together was a covenant. A covenant. It wasn't our feelings. It's a covenant that we entered into. All right, just curious. How many of you back in the day, you saw the sports movie Jerry Maguire? Raise your hands. Okay, a lot of you saw that. Now, there were three big, big lines in that movie. One of them was, show me the... All right, you got that one down? Another one was, you had me at... Oh, that one breaks my heart. And then, and then of course, there's this other one here is, you complete... Did someone say, you deplete me? I thought I heard that over here. You better watch yourself. All right. You deplete me, right? Or whatever. I don't know if it's in that. But, but when we hear you complete me, 
oh man, that is so sweet. It's so romantic, right? And all, all the women were like, oh, that's so, it's beautiful. And men were rolling their eyes, you know, whatever. Some of them were. And uh, not me. And, uh, but in that, it's beautiful. It's very romantic. It's very Hollywooded up because Hollywood does that. Here's what you need to know, though. It's not good theology. It's not good theology. Now, here's what I want you to hear is that the implication is that it would take another person to complete you. It takes another person to complete you. Well, Jesus was single. Was Jesus incomplete? No, right? Jesus was, was one with the Father, right? Jesus was in relationship with the Father. Jesus and Paul both greatly affirmed singleness in the Scripture. In fact, in a lot of places, they even encouraged it. They, they talk about it as even being a gift, okay? Uh, for those who are called to it, it's, it's encouraged in a great way. And, and, and it doesn't mean that single adults are better than married people or married people are better than single adults. Not in any way. You're going to see that there are different roles and different callings that people have, all right? Or think about it in this manner. What if your spouse passes away? Does that mean that you're incomplete? No. What if, what if your spouse leaves you or walks out? Does that mean that you are incomplete as a, as a human being, never to be complete again unless you get married again? And now listen, there's certainly hurt. There certainly can be a void there from the way that you're used to things being, but you are not incomplete. The reason we have ever been incomplete in the first place, it's because we were separated from God by our sin. And when we were separated from God by our sin, there was a, a void in a relationship that we had in our life that we were created to have with God. One that could only be filled by Jesus Christ. That vacuum that's in our life can only be filled by Jesus Christ and our faith that we have in him. When we place our faith in Jesus the Holy Spirit now dwells within us. Jesus is now within our lives. You are complete. You're a complete person. Jesus completes us. No sinful person can complete you. Because they have deficiencies in their life, just like you do. It's, it's really, it would be saying this. It would be like saying that, that Jesus is not enough. It'd be like saying this. It'd be like saying that, in fact, in, I think it's even unfair to project that onto another person, something that really only God can do in your life. Because the reality is at some point in the relationship, maybe you're not going to be fulfilled by that person or, or you're not going to agree upon things or maybe that person is going to go away. Does that mean you're incomplete? So a lot of times we enter into a marriage relationship and we come in with this mentality and this is the world's mentality. I'm coming in 50-50. 50 here and 50 here makes a whole. Well, in a covenant, what you're going to see is that God calls you in 100% and 100%. And in God's economy, that is what creates the whole as they are weaved together into one. All right, And in doing so, here's what we see. Here's a better word, rather than being completed by another person, as if you're incomplete, even though you have Jesus Christ. A better word would be in a marriage relationship would be this. We complement one another. We supplement each other. We, uh, we enhance one another in our differences. We, we balance each other out. 
That's what I see now in this marriage relationship over 24 years with Hope. I'm thinking of how much this woman has, has balanced my impulsive nature out, how it's been a good thing once you begin to learn how to navigate through that and accept those things about each other. It makes for a strong relationship. We often, even as, as a married couple, now as a single adult, as a single person, whether you're married or single, our lives, are, are, we are created by God in the image of God to reflect God to others and what his glory is like. To reflect what it looks like, uh, what God looks like to others and what his love is all about. Now in the marriage relationship, we often can have a greater impact for the kingdom as showing what a harmonious unit um, that has learned how to balance each other's strengths and weaknesses out with the ultimate mission of it not being about you in your marriage, but you as a couple being on mission for God together. You're living your lives together. You're living as a daily reflection of God, uh, what he looks like to the world. You're living as a daily reflection of what God looks like, his love looks like to your children. They're going to be seeing what God looks like by the way that you treat each other. So here's a key thought. Let me give you some things regarding biblical marriage. Number one, write this down. A biblical marriage is a great opportunity to show the world to show the world what godly love really looks like. It's a great opportunity, right? As I said last week, because in that relationship with two people who are very different, you're going to have to learn how to be patient. You're going to have to learn how to forgive. You're going to have to learn to overlook offenses. I mean, it is the greatest laboratory for living out your Christian faith. And sometimes we think, well, that's just out, supposed to be for outside the wall. Start in the home. Start with your spouse and living it out. It's the greatest laboratory for this, okay? When two very different people who are very opposite uh, begin to choose. Now, this is big. They begin to choose to die to self daily. Where, yes, I have a way about thinking about things, but we don't always have to do my way. In fact, we're going to do your way. When you choose to die to self, or when you choose to, to where it's not about you and your rights, what does our culture say? It is about you. It's about your rights. It's about how you feel. If you're not feeling good about this, then, you know, by golly, you need to find somebody who will make you feel better, right? And that's, that's the world's way. The marriage relationship is designed by God to be selfless living that is more about we rather than just about me. It is so contrary to the way that the world tells us to live. It's countercultural, all right? Just a quick scripture reference on this. Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, on the night that right before he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die to self on this night, right, uh, as he did every single day. But he's really going to show his disciples something. They're in the upper room. Do you know what they're doing? They're fighting. They're competing with each other. They're prideful with each other. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. And I'm going to be elevated here. There's this struggle, a power struggle that's going on. Nobody will wash feet. What does Jesus do? On the night he is, a, is about to be betrayed and denied by every one of them. What does he do? He gets up. No one else would do the job that needed to be done. He goes over. He puts on the towel. He pours water in the basin. And then can you imagine the deafening silence in that place at that moment? 
All I can hear is the water pouring into the basin. And then what does he start doing? You know what he does. What does he do? Washes feet. Oof. He does it. And then do you know what he says? After he shows them how to love, then he tells them this. Right now, they're having a Passover meal together. So they're thinking a lot about the Ten Commandments and kind of the letter of the law. He says, so now I'm going to give you a new commandment, John chapter 13. Here's a brand new thing. I want you to catch this. Love each other. They wouldn't wash each other's feet. They're fighting over who's going to be the greatest. Love each other. Now, this is the kicker. Now he's going to say this. And do you think he had a little credibility right after washing feet? He said, love each other just as I have loved you. I sacrificed for you. And you're about to see even more sacrifice in the coming hours. That's what he was telling them. Take note of it. Take note of what I'm doing for you. Take note of my servant heart. Take note of how I, even in a place of leadership, will serve you. And I don't think I'm too good to do anything. Think, take note of how I will die to self. He says, now here's the reason. He said, because here's the deal. People are going to be questioning, what is God really like? They're going to be questioning, who is this Jesus? And look at what he says. When you do this, when you love like this one another, your love for one another will do what? Prove you are really a follower of mine. You don't just talk a big game. Anybody can say, I love you. Anybody can verbalize it. We can say it all day. You know, he said, no, show it with your actions. Live it out. Do it the way that I do this. I didn't just tell you on this night, hey, guys, love each other. No, he said, let me show you how to do this. You're going to need to wash feet. You're going to need to do things that you don't want to do. You're going to need to die to self on a regular basis. Now, a lot of times when we hear love each other and we, you know, we always think, yeah, that's great. We want to love the world. We want to love other people. We want to, love... you know what I really think? I think this would be most effective if we started in our homes first. We started with our, with our bride. We started with our husband. We started with our children and we washed feet in our family. And you know what happens? That starts reflecting to the world around you. It starts showing people what God really looks like. That's what it's designed for. He said, I want you to do this because then people start taking notice of what that love is about and where did that kind of love come from? He's going, you know where it came from. It comes from me. They're going to ask and you're going to be able to say, this is what Jesus did in my life. Now, I want to shift gears with you for just a second and show you God's initial design and the complementary nature of his creation of men and women together, all right? So go with me to Genesis chapter 2, and this is on day 6 of creation, and, and God has created man, and he hasn't yet created woman. He's about to, but he's given this great responsibility for Adam to steward the land, to steward it, and he placed him in the perfect garden of Eden, and God said up to that point, you know, in chapter 1, what does he say about all of creation? Everything is good, and when he created man, he says, it is very good. This is good, he said. Now he's going to, it's interesting because in chapter 1, we're going to see that God, yes, is one, but we see that God is in relationship in the Trinity with himself. He says, let us make man in our image. So there's a relationship that you are created to have with others. If you're in the image of God, you're made for relationships and you're in the image of God. And so this is what is going to happen. He's going he's to create man. And he's going to create him to be relational. And let's start in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, as Adam is there, right? 
the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Man is good. Man is complete. But it's not good that he's alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. That doesn't mean completes him. It actually means this. The word is, is more, it's suitable for him. It, it complements him. It actually translates this way, is corresponding to him. Supplements, you know, him. And, and now skipping ahead now, if we were to keep reading in that chapter, now at this point it hasn't happened yet, and Adam is, is already fulfilling his role of beginning to, to steward the earth, and God gives him the task of naming animals. And I don't know why he didn't wait for, for Eve to, to be there. Maybe they, he thought they might argue about names, and it might take longer. I don't know. But, but he's doing this, all right? And he's, and he's like, lion, lioness. There's two, whoa. Uh, and he's like, okay, uh, rooster, and there's a hen, all right, and bull, and cow, and buck, and doe, and gorilla, and she-gorilla. I don't know what you call that, okay? Randy and I said this week, maybe it's guy-rilla and girl-rilla, okay? I don't know. All I know is Adam is naming stuff, and he's like, something's going on here, God. Wait a minute, you know? Now, it's not that he's incomplete, but he realizes there's, he's made for relationship. I'm made for relationship, and God, I think, is doing this because he's showing him the value of this relationship, and, and it says this, but still, as he's doing this, there was no helper just right for him. This word helper, I, I really, I, I think it's important that we understand this as men and women, that we understand this word helper is not a, an inferior word. It's not a word of inferiority. Um, it's, in fact, the word is a word of supplementation. It's a complementary word. It's, it's a, a coming alongside. It's a partnership kind of word. It's similar to the word Jesus used in describing when he was going to leave uh, the disciples. And he said, there will be another one coming alongside you who is what? The Holy Spirit. He's coming alongside you. There's no, it's not inferior by any mean, by any means. Now, verse 21, so the Lord God, as I'm reading this this week, and every time I read this, it kind of makes me laugh as you kind of understand really what's going on here. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. God was the first anesthesiologist, right? Okay. While the man slept, and maybe he put Adam down here because he was like, I don't want any input from you about this. I'm putting you out here. I'm going to make this perfect for you. The Lord God took out one of the man's ribs. That word is not just singularly a bone. It was part of his side. That's what it means. Part of his side. And he closed up the opening with God's divine touch. And then the Lord God, and I love this, and ladies, listen to this. This is incredible. The Lord God made. Now, this English version right here doesn't translate that very well. It's actually this. You're going to love it, ladies. The Lord God fashioned the woman. Now, we know why they love fashion, right? He fashioned. It's almost like a work of art. Guys, he made us out of dirt. He fashioned the woman. I mean, just think of the beauty. She's like the pinnacle of beauty, right? He, he, he fashioned a woman from the rib. This was man's first encounter with barbecue. I am convinced, all right? Seriously, about the rib. Some of you are going, ah, I like Matthew Henry, the commentator, writes this. I love this. That woman, I use this in a lot of the weddings that I do. Woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam. Remember, it's more about the side. Adam wasn't without a rib, okay? 
more the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him. And this is interesting because we are very different. We're made physically different. There are differences that should not, that, that more than anything should be celebrated as God's made us different to complement one another. And, and, and I love what he says, and under his arm to be protected by her, but closest to his heart to be deeply loved by her. Love, don't you love, I love that. That imagery, every time God does something, everything is very specific and it's done for a reason. It wasn't just, eh, let's just pick a rib or whatever, okay? It's done for a reason. It's, it's a symbolic of, of equality, of coming alongside and yet we are different and, and now it's closest to his heart, all right? Now he goes on and he says this. Now, I love this and it says, and he, and he brought her to the man, with God as the first officiating minister in the, in, in the wedding. God is instituting uh, a wedding, a marriage right here. God begins this. By the way, it was before the church was ever done. It's the first institution. And, and the very first wedding song happened. Because what does Adam say? Go on. At last. Right, that's what we've got here. All right. That literally translates in any language mm, 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 as he looks and he sees how beautiful this woman is. I don't care what language that is. In the Hebrew, it's mm, 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 all right. Now Adam was literally beside himself. Think about it, okay? All right. This, <laughs> now the first poem all right, come on with me. The first poem, because this in the Hebrew is the, is the first poem, was said by Adam. He, he's like getting all romantic and the first poem comes out. Now, it's a one line. This is actually a poem right here. And here's what he says. He says, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. I love this. She shall be called, say it with me, woman. Now, in the Hebrew, that is isha. The man is Ish. Now, we would hear that and think, well, it must be the same root. It's not. There's a play on words that happens here. The word Isha, it literally means this, soft. So he saw her. It doesn't mean weak. He saw her and he's like, soft. <laughs> or whatever, you know, <laughs> soft. She's soft. She's different than me. Right? I love it. All right? And now it goes on and he says this, because she was taken from man, ish. This explains, now he's going to say this, explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined. Now this word joined is a word in some translations, it's cleaved. That's a good translation. This word cleaved is like taking two separate threads that are complete threads and yet weaving them together into one cloth. It's one. This word one, it says to his, he's joined to his wife. He leaves his father and mother. His priority is not there anymore. Now think about this. He didn't have a father and mother at this point. But God is saying this is what it's going to be like. I am instituting this. Now his priority is his wife. 
And so he's to leave, he's to grow up, he's to be a man, he's to, he's to you know, join together with his wife. And the two are united into what? One. That's echad. And echad is not the, it's the word one, it's not an absolute number one. It's more the idea of oneness or a unit or a team or a partnership that complements one another that comes alongside each other, that celebrates our differences. Now, now I love this too, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Why? Because there was no consciousness of sin or evil. Sin had not happened. This was beautiful. This is how God designed it. God made it this way. So here's your next thought. As you see that they are individuals, yes, but they're coming together as one, one unit, complementing one another. And so here's your next thought. Biblical marriage is to be more about we and less about me. When you're coming together, it's dying to self. We, remember last week we said Solomon in Ecclesiastes was talking about how one can be overpowered, but two coming together back to back. They keep each other warm. They make for a strong you know, unit there, but, and they protect each other. But also, he said, but a, a cord of three strands. Who's the third cord there? It's, it's God. It's Jesus Christ. That he is the one that, that keeps us together, and it's not easily broken. All right, When we're joined together as a husband and as a wife, two individuals, and now we are woven together as one unit. I mean, think about it like this. It's like if you've been to a picnic, and have you ever done a three-legged race? Anybody done one of those? Okay. And you do the three-legged race, and you come along. Now, you're not like, well, I'm half of a person, and this is half of a person, and we're going to make one. No, you're 100% person, another person, you come together, you have a cord that ties you together, and now what do you have to do? You have to learn to work together. I mean, you, if, you, if it's all about we're going at my pace and I'm doing it like this and I don't care, you are not going to finish the race. If that's how you're going to enter into your marriage where this is about me and it's all, you know, it's not about us or whatever, you're not going to finish the race. You won't. So what do you do to get in the same rhythm, to get into the same pattern in all this? Do you know what really has to happen? Here it is. Here's what it is. You have to die to self. You have to submit to one another. It's mutual submission, all right? Mutual submission, we'll look at it in a couple of weeks in Ephesians chapter 5. It's dying to self, it's, it's working together, it's complementing, it's supplementing one another to, to really to finish what's any goal of ours. It's to finish the race as a believer. It's to finish, if you're married, to finish as a couple. And as you're doing that, your marriage relationship is reflecting what God looks like. I mean, that's a good question to start asking is, do, does our marriage relationship... Does it reflect God to people? What do our kids see when they see the marriage relationship? Do they see, do they see a reflection of God by the way that we interact with each other, by the way that we love each other, by the way that we die to self? There's a submission to one another there. God has designed us to complement one another, each other, enhance one another. It makes us, we make each other better is what he's saying here. And if this is going to happen, it has to be more about we and less about me. It's a partnership is his design. Now, if that is going to happen, okay, then we have to understand this biblical truth about marriage. Biblical marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Let me explain this. 
People today all over the world, we treat marriage as a contract because that's what our culture tells us it is. It's, a, it's just, a, I've heard people say, ah, it's just a piece of paper, you know, whatever. It's more than that. It's more than this. It's, uh, a contract is just a piece of paper. It's, that's merely just a legal agreement. God designed marriage to be more than just a contract. You see a great picture of this in the Old Testament uh, as God talks about, and by the way, when God talks about marriage, he talks about it as a covenant, never a contract. You won't find that word. It's always covenant, okay? Now, in this covenant, um, here's what he's going to say. He's going to say to the people of Israel who weren't keeping their marriage covenants, they're wondering, why won't God accept our worship? Why won't God hear our prayers? What's going on here? And God's going to say in Malachi chapter 2, as they say, but what, why does he not do this? Why does he not accept our worship or listen to our prayers? If you read the whole context there. And here's what it says, because the Lord was witness. The Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been. And he's calling them out faithless. This has been about you and you've been selfish. Though she is your companion and your wife by, what does it say next? Covenant. So what is the difference in a contract in a covenant? What is the difference? If, you, if you're taking some notes, here's some things to write down very quickly, okay? Contracts are based upon mutual distrust. They're based upon mutual distrust. I'm in this as far as you're in this. If you do me wrong, I'm out, all right? That's what a contract is. Everything in our society revolves around contracts. If you purchase a car, there's a contract involved. If you're gonna, if you're gonna have a credit card, you sign a contract. If you're gonna buy a house, we just bought a house and sold a house. You know what the biggest document I've ever seen in my life was? A contract. And in the midst of the contract, we're signing the contract. And what are we saying? Contracts, by the way, there are, there are loopholes. There are exit clauses. There are ways to get out of them. Contracts, in some ways, are made to be broken, right? You can always find a way out, typically. They're centered on my rights. What do we say um, as we're signing this contract for our house and dealing with someone who's buying ours? It's kind of this idea of, I better put this down on paper or have you sign your name on this because there's a good chance that uh, I may not get my way in this. There's a good chance that you may, you know, you may try to, 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 uh, to do me wrong in a certain kind of way. And so this is going to protect me from you in that way. And it's going to protect you from me because the bottom line is, is at the end of the day, a lot of times we just won't do right. And so that's kind of what a contract ends up being. And if you go against this, then I'm going to have a way to be able to get out of this, right? Contracts, write this down, are for often for limited periods of time. They're temporal. Like when a baseball player signs a contract for a bazillion dollars for four years or whatever, okay? Contracts are often based on if-then mentality. If-then mentality. They're conditional. If you do this, then I will do this. That's 50% in and I'll meet you 50% halfway, all right? Contracts are motivated by the desire to get something. I've got to get something out of this. I'm going to be sure I get my part out of this. It's not about giving something, or you wouldn't need a contract, right? Contracts are based upon, start thinking with me about this, performance. They're based upon what you can do for me. And sadly, this is how many enter into the marriage relationship and treat it. If you do what I want, we're good. If you don't, I'm out. You didn't live up to your agreement. If you don't perform, if someone breaks the contract, if someone doesn't live up to this in some kind of way, it's over. And, and if you're not making me happy right now, you're breaking the contract. So I'm out. 
I'm not obligated to you. The word contract, as I said, is not found in the scripture. Covenant, though, is in there over 300 times. 300 times covenant is used. The word covenant is brief. It literally means a binding, a cleaving. Oftentimes, a shedding of blood, you'll find, was involved in a covenant. A shedding of blood. It's used so many different times to describe the marriage relationship. Covenants, write this down, are based upon mutual commitment. There's that C word again. It goes beyond my feelings. It's a commitment that I've made. Now, as we talk about this, we're inclined to think about the marriage relationship because we're doing a series called Holy Matrimony. But here's what I want you to start doing right now. I want you, as we start thinking about covenant and what it means to start thinking, whether you're married or you're single, I want you to start thinking about the way God is with you. The kind of love God shows you. The way he pursues you. The way that he is, he is faithful when you are faithless, right? The level of commit, commitment. Think of how Jesus is with you. The death to self that he exhibited for you and for me, right? By going to the cross. The level of commitment going beyond his feelings when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't feel like doing this, God, but I'll, I'll do this because I made a commitment to do this. There's no other way. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm committed in, even though it's going to hurt, even though it might not make me happy. The level of faithfulness, even when we're unfaithful, it's all based upon love and grace. It's so different than a contract. It's unending, right? Okay, covenants, write this down, can be maintained by one person. They can be maintained by one person, even when the other person fails in it. And you can still keep your covenant. Covenants are made for the benefit of the other person. They're not made for you. It's for the benefit of the other person to know, I'm covenanting with you on this. I promise you. Covenants are bound by unconditional promises. Covenants are based on unconditional love. Covenants are viewed as, this is big, permanent. They're viewed as permanent. Like the covenant God made with Israel. And the covenant God made with us as the bride of Christ? I mean, what if God treated his covenants with us the way we treat our covenants with one another? That's something to think about. Would you feel real secure if it was all based upon how you performed? You see what I'm saying? So if, if they're to be permanent, here's what's going to have to happen. And this is what Hope and I have had to learn and we're still learning you're going to have to learn through a covenant that they require confrontation and forgiveness. Instead of whenever it gets rough, I'm out. No, there is no escape clause here. We're going to have to figure out how to get through this together, which means there's going to have to be a lot of dying to self. Dying to self and forgiveness. Seeking forgiveness, giving forgiveness. Here's the next thing. Covenants are based upon where contracts are all about works and performance. Covenants are based on what? Grace. What is grace? It's you getting something you don't deserve. It's getting what you don't deserve. You may break this, but I'm not going to break my covenant vows before God or before you. In other words, I'm all in every bit of me. 100%. It's not 50%. I'm all in. There is no back door. I'm in on this. 
I'm making my covenant not before the state of Texas or before the county clerk or even before a pastor. My covenant is before the God of the universe. And I am saying I'm all in. That's why if you're not married, you really need to think very, very strongly about it before you get married. Contract. Listen to the language. I take thee for me. You're for me. Covenant. I give myself to you. Contract. You better do this for me. Covenant. What can I do for you? Think about it. Contract. What do I get out of this? Covenant. What can I give? Contract. I'll meet you halfway. Covenant. I'm 100% in. Contract. I have to do this. Covenant. I want to do this. You see, Jesus didn't have to come for you or me. He wanted to. And he said, I'm all in. I'm all in for you. A covenant is so opposite. I mean, think about this. As I do, I've done a lot of weddings. I do a lot of weddings, okay? And, and I, I realize how the wedding can just really time, oftentimes override the marriage. And, and it's all about the fluff and all the stuff. But when I speak with a couple, I say, I really want you to understand what you're saying before because I've done weddings where I don't think they had a clue what they were getting into. And that was partly my fault. I said, I want you to think about what you're saying for better or for worse. What you're saying, I mean, think about it. The assumption is at some point in this relationship, something's going south. That's what you're saying. You're recognizing it's going to happen. The world is broken. We are flawed. It's going to mess up. Some point, there's going to be bad times. But I'm all in. I'm not going anywhere. And then I point this one out to them. For rich or for poor, do you know what you're saying? We may do very well financially. Praise God if that happens. But, but the reality is, is we most likely are going to go through some really hard times financially. And you know what? That's not why I married you. That's not conditional upon our marriage. I'm in. I'm not going anywhere. That's what you're saying. I hope that it works out and we are blessed but there are probably going to be more times where you're going to struggle. And I'm in. That's a promise that we're making before God. This one right here, think about this one. In sickness and in health. Do you realize we all are going to get sick at some point? What you're saying is, I'm all in with you. You don't have to worry about if you get sick. I hope we get to travel the world and we're well most of our lives and don't have health problems. But the reality is that, is that we're all going to get sick at some point. At some point, it's whether uh, hey, we just had our honeymoon and we had a terrible accident and you may be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. I don't want you to worry about this. I promise you I'm going to take care of you. You don't have to perform for my love. That's what you're saying. Think about how God is in essence saying that to you. Or at some point, you're going to get sick or I'm going to get sick. We, we're going to covenant with one another that we're not going to back out on each other. I will take care of you. I will love you unconditionally. I will, I, you, even if you can't do anything for me, I'm going to do for you. Because that's how God loves me. That's what we're saying. And I'm going to do that. And what do we say? Till death do us part. Till death do us part. There's no escape clause, right? Now, I know that the scripture makes allowances for infidelity. That's not God's design. In fact, when they came to Jesus and asked him about that, 
Jesus said, well, we had to make that for that. Uh, Moses had to make for this because of the hardness of your hearts. That's not what God wanted. And I, I, I think that there are in, in instances where there is abuse, that that, that, that certainly is something uh, to take into consideration. No person should continue to be subjected to that. Okay? But here is the thing. Overall, though, we're in. That's what he's saying. Now think about how God is with us. What did Jesus say to us, the church? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And you see, when you are like that with one another, you are showing people what God's love looks like. But if it's all conditional, it's not a reflection of our God. I want to close with this uh, video, okay? And it's, a, it's an emotional video. I've watched it probably 10 or 12 times this week, and it gets me every time. We strategically put Kleenexes in there so that I would not get hate mail this week, all right? But um, I want you to watch this video. And I didn't pick this video just to make you emotional, if it does make you emotional. I picked this video because what you're going to see is you're going to see, some of you are getting ready already. You're already, (laughs) wow, power of suggestion. I hope it's not like funny to you or anything, and then you're going to be mad at me, but We picked this video because it is an incredible picture of the kind of love that God has for you. So watch this, okay? I don't count it a burden, whatever, to have to care for her. I I need to do everything. From the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to bed, I do absolutely everything. Um, Clean her teeth, shower, dress, everything. um, But it's it's a privilege. I count it a great privilege to, to care for this one that I've loved all of these years and continue to love. This is the year when we'll celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Our stories have been a, a lovely story. I first saw her when she was eight years old and her brother became my best friend. And we grew up together and as we grew up, yeah, she was there. And I knew that she used to stare at me when I was playing footy with, my, with her brother and uh, another friend and when we used to ride bikes and she kept staring at me, but I wasn't interested. I was 17, she was 16. I saw her dolled up, dressed up, and she had an A-line dress on, and boom, it was gone. I was, uh, she was the one for me then, absolutely. <laughs> when we first started uh, dating, I used to ride my bike from where I lived to where she was, and that was about five kilometres on a Saturday afternoon because it was the only chance we had to get together. And uh, it was hair wash day for her, and she used a special cream in her hair for a shampoo. And I can still smell it because that smell was so particular, so nice. It was just absolutely special. We had a bike. I used to ride everywhere on my bike and then Glad had a bike as well. And we put a, a baby chair on the front of her bike. And so we carried our babies around on the bike with her as well. So, yeah, bike's been part of our lives. And I guess that has something to do with us now. Around about 2004-05, I began to notice um, that there were things going wrong. 
She was finally diagnosed with uh, the horrible disease of Alzheimer's. Having lived overseas, I knew that with a bike you can do lots of things. So I had a bike made, a bike chair made. We take it to the beach and ride along beside the beach. And as we do that, we see lots of people. A lot of people come talk to us because it's a unique thing. Nobody else has got a bike chair quite like that one. I am determined to care for her every need, every need. You see, God has loved us so unconditionally. And I understand that God has put his love in my heart. And because I realize how much God has loved me, that's how I too can love my lovely wife. She has done so much for me over all of these years. Now she can't, but I can, and I can return her love. And it's a love that, uh, well, to me, means I can do everything for her. She's my princess, I'm her William, and I wouldn't <laughs> have it any other way. Would you have it any other way? No, no, no. no not at all. We love each other. Wow, right? I watched that a lot of times this week. Hope walked in one time and I was crying. She was like, are you okay? I'm like, something in my eye or something. <laughs> but you know what I see whenever I see that? Yes, it's a couple that shows their love for one another. You know what I see whenever I watch that? I see Jesus. That's what I see. That's the way Jesus is with us. We can't bring anything to the table. His love is so powerful for us, and our marriages are supposed to reflect that, the way we treat each other as you love each other, as I have loved you, so the world will know you are my disciples. The world needs to see some godly marriages, amen? So what will you do about it? Don't wait for someone to get sick before you start showing that kind of love. In fact, I'll put it to you this way. What can you do for your spouse? Maybe you're a single person. Maybe God would lay it on your heart to be that way with another person. What can you practically do for your spouse this week that would love her or him in that kind of way? Take something off their plate. Die to self. It not be about you. It's more about us. Don't wait for someone to get sick. Start showing that now. Start showing our kids now what that looks like. As we make that commitment to love, he said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you know what that's about? Sacrifice. A sacrifice isn't a sacrifice if it doesn't cost you. It costs in itself. Let's pray together. How does God want you to respond today? Don't just maybe get emotional about it. Put it into action this week. Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to serve? How can I bless my spouse this week? How can I serve my kids this week and die to self? Would you just, if you're married, commit yourself to your spouse would you commit together to being sure you're doing everything you can to be certain that your marriage relationship is a reflection of the love of Christ to our world that is all about contract 
Thank you, Father, for loving us the way that you do, for showing us how to love. Lord, we need to learn to live the crucified life daily. And Lord, may it start at home in our families. May children see fathers that are great leaders, but they are great leaders because they are great servers. May wives see husbands that serve them out of love for Jesus and are still great leaders. your name. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the kind of love He has for you. Call on Him. He'll save you. Believe in faith. We praise you, Lord. Would you make our marriages strong? In Jesus' name.